Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. Good morning. Uh, Today I'll be reading from the book of Genesis, chapter 35, verses 1 through 15. When I finish reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and if you could respond with thanks be to God, that would be great. God said to Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them underneath the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them, so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God had revealed himself to him when he had fled from his brother. And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So he called the name Alan Bakuth. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him to the place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him Bethel. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning. How are we doing this morning? Good. This is, uh, this is one of those two Sundays out of the year where we could be a little bit thrown off by the, by the time change, and uh, maybe just a little um, unsure that the time that we think it is is the same time that everyone else thinks it is, and that we're all kind of operating uh, on the same time. But we're all here at the same time, so... We all figured it out, it looks like. Um, my name is Camden. If we haven't met, I'd love to get the chance to meet you today. Um, as Lucia said, as a church, we have been uh, studying through the book of Genesis, and today we've made it here to Genesis chapter 35, and this is really the last day that we're going to be focusing on the life of Jacob. He'll show up a little bit later on uh, next year when we look at the life of Joseph, but this is really the end of our, our time focusing in on him. 
And Jacob has, has had a, a rough life, and especially the last part of his life that we'll look at today um, has, has been really a series of unfortunate events. But if, if you were here and remember um, many weeks ago when we started looking at the life of Jacob, it really started for him uh, with some acts of deception to the point that he had taken things from his brother to the point that his brother hated him and wanted to kill him. And because of that, Jacob runs away from home with nothing really in his possession, not really sure what things will be like when he gets to uh, the land that he's going to. And out in the middle of nowhere, he falls asleep and God appears to Jacob and makes promises to him tells him that he has a plan for him and that he is going to bring him safely back into this land where his family is again. And Jacob wakes up and realizes what has just happened and he names that place where he was Bethel, which means the house of God. And many things have happened in, in Jacob's life since that time. Over 20 years have passed. Jacob now has a family many servants and flocks and, and herds that are, are with him. And he finds himself at a very uh, tumultuous point in his life. And it's in this time that God invites him to come back to Bethel to have a time of, of renewal and strengthening again. So that's what we're going to look at this morning in Genesis 35. Let's uh, have a word of prayer, and then we will we'll dig into God's Word this morning. Lord, we, we come before you this morning, and I uh, just confess my, my great need for you, and how often, just like Jacob, I, I need this, this time of renewal from you, and, and so often I, I don't realize it and I don't seek it out. Lord, I pray that you would use your word this morning, that you would show us the ways that we are like Jacob and how we need you and how you are faithful no matter what. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. In, uh, in 1953, my grandmother, Lucille Benson, was a uh, a newly graduated nurse from Minnesota, and she had this adventurous streak and, and moved all the way up to a remote village in Alaska to work in their, the primitive hospital that they had up there. Alaska wasn't even a state at the time, it was just a, a very rugged territory. And around the same time, there was a young man from Michigan, Robert Olney. Spoiler alert, he was my grandfather. And he had joined the Air Force expecting that he was going to be involved in the Korean War. And instead of getting sent to Korea, he was sent to the same remote village in Alaska to be part of the, uh, the defense against uh, Russia during the Cold War. And it was in this tiny little village that my grandparents met and fell in love with each other. And the name of that village is Bethel, Alaska. And they had a, a full, crazy life, and they moved all over the country. My grandpa was part of uh, some great uh, civil engineering feats of his day. And they eventually settled back in Alaska, 
And for what I believe was their 40th anniversary, uh, their kids got together and organized a trip for them to go back to Bethel to have a, a time to just reminisce and, a, and have a, a special uh, day together. Now, Bethel, to this day, is not a romantic destination. It is still a tiny little remote village, and there is no nice restaurants or fancy buildings or any sort of amusements like that that would draw people to it. But it was very special to them because that was the place where their relationship began. And similarly today for Jacob, this place out in the middle of nowhere is a place that is very special to him and God because this is where God revealed himself to Jacob for the first time. And I tell that story because I, I want to get us into this, this headspace that God is not summoning Jacob to Bethel so that he can correct him. He's realizing the place that Jacob is in, and he is drawing him back to Bethel to give him a time of renewal. God repeats his promises to Jacob. He reminds Jacob that he has been changed, as is evidenced by the new name that God has given him. And afterwards, Jacob has the strength to continue on with his journey. But nothing really new or revolutionary happens when Jacob goes to Bethel. God repeats promises to him. He reminds him of things, and he renews Jacob, and that is exactly what he needed. You know, often our lives can feel like a roller coaster with, with some highs, but also a lot, of, a lot of lows, a lot of periods of just exhaustion where we, we just continue to press forward. Often our, our depleted souls just push on day after day. And we try to vicariously experience God's renewal through other people instead of experiencing it for ourselves. But this is not going to leave our souls satisfied. And because of that, we start to turn to other things to find our satisfaction. God's design is for us to do life with Him at His pace, in His timing and for us to consistently experience his work of renewal. We see this in, in, a, in a few passages here. In, in Psalm 46, in verse 1, in verse 10 and 11, it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Be still and know that I am God. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. God is with us, but so often we don't realize it because we are, we are so busy. We're not taking the time to be still and realize that He is God and that He is with us. In Psalm 84, in, in verse 4 and 5 and, and 7, it says, Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. They go from strength to strength. So often, that is not what my life looks like. I'm not going from strength to strength. I'm going from strength to exhaustion to crash, maybe to strength again, or maybe just back to exhaustion and then back to crash. You know, this passage says, those that dwell in God's house singing his praise, 
whose strength is found in God, they go from strength to strength because they are relying on God's strength. In Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31 says, they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That is God's design. That is what God wants our lives to look like. Too often these passages are not a description of our life, and this is not a description of the place that Jacob is in. In Genesis 34, we see an exhausted Jacob on his journey back to the land where his father Isaac is, stops and settles down for a while, and the results are disastrous. So let's just take a minute to, to kind of recap Jacob's life and really look at what he's experiencing in this chapter. Jacob is, is coming off of a, a series of life and death situations that he's been part of. He served Laban for 20 years, and that relationship grew increasingly strained to the point that, that Jacob hears a word from God saying that he should go back to his home country And he doesn't tell Laban. He just runs away with his family and with all of his flocks and herds. It was not a a quick process. He has to bring all of his possessions with him. And he tries to push them as, as fast as he can to get away from Laban. But even still, Laban catches up with Jacob. And they have a, a heated confrontation. And Jacob is, is spared any harm only because of God's intervention in that situation. Jacob continues on into the land of Canaan, but he hears that his brother Esau, the one that hated him, the one that swore that he was going to kill him, is coming towards him with 400 men. It doesn't really sound like a welcome committee, does it? And Jacob, in Genesis 32, he pleads with God for protection and he wrestles with God and doesn't want to let go until God gives him a blessing. And God le- Jacob leaves that experience with God, weak and wounded, as we saw last week. He wrestles with God all night, and the very next morning, Esau is coming to see him. And he's, even though he has received more promises from God, he still struggles believing that he's going to be protected. And when his brother Esau comes, he doesn't wish him any harm, and they go their separate ways. And Jacob travels just a little bit further and stops at this town of Shechem. And this was a a nomadic people that, um, as we saw with Abraham, would often sojourn in someone's land, and then he would just move on to the next place. But Jacob, in Genesis 34, actually buys some land right outside this town. And he builds a house, and he builds some pens for his animals. And this maybe was Jacob's idea of of having a time of rest. But stopping right outside Shechem ends in disaster. And Jacob's daughter is taken advantage of by one of the leaders in the town. And Jacob's sons take their revenge by killing all of the men in the town of Shechem. Genesis 34 is is a a dark chapter that culminates in verse 30. 
And Jacob says to his son Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land. The Canaanites and the Perizzites, my numbers are few, and if they gather themselves against me and attack me, I shall be destroyed, both I and my household. And we see in, uh, in verse 5 of, of chapter 35 that Jacob is correct in thinking that these other inhabitants around him are going to continue this cycle of revenge against Jacob and his household. And the only reason that doesn't happen is because a fear of God stops them from doing it. But in this moment, before Jacob is called to Bethel, he is facing yet another life and death situation, not just for him, but for his entire family. And not only that, but Jacob is, is moving into a, a season of great loss. We see that chapter 35 is uh, interrupted in verse 8 to tell us about the death of Deborah and how difficult it was for Jacob and those with him. He called the name of that place Alon Bakuth, which means the oak of weeping. We see in verse 16, just after Jacob leaves Bethel, his wife Rachel dies as well. Coming on to the, the end of, of chapter 35, Jacob finally does make it home to see his father Isaac, and his father Isaac dies as well. Well, that death may have been a, a little bit different for, for Jacob, who hadn't seen him in so many years, but is still very difficult in the way that, that losing a, a parent always is. And this also ushers in a new era to Jacob's life as the passing of his father makes him the patriarch of this family. And it's in the midst of all of these events that are taking place that God calls Jacob to come back to Bethel to have this time of renewal. A place for him to renew his strength and faith and draw close to God once again. I'd like to see a few things from this passage this morning that I believe can be a help to us. And the first thing is that God is the one who reaches out to Jacob. The whole story of, of the Bible is, is the story of, of God creating mankind only to be separated from mankind by sin. But then God continually reaches out over and over to redeem his people this entire interaction between God and Jacob is initiated by God. It's so easy for us to want to jump right to the part that we need to do. And as I approach this, this chapter, I, I kind of felt the same way. But if we are going to truly rest in God, we must acknowledge and trust that God is the one who is working he is always working. Even on days that we don't feel like we've put in enough of an effort, it is God who is working in us and in the world around us. And we have to be able to trust and rest on that and then join God in the work that he is doing. And when we get into a mentality that everything depends on us and that we just need to do more and more, we immediately get into trouble because we can never really do enough, can we? 
Can we ever serve too much? Can we ever give too much back to God who's given everything to us? No, we can't. But in trying to do enough, we can so easily burn out. There's a, an old poem by C.T. Studd that has a, a very famous line in which he said, there's only one life which will soon be passed, but only what's done for Christ will last. There's some great truth to that quote, but I, I think it can be improved in a, in a meaningful way by changing one word. Only what's done with Christ will last. There is so much busy work that is done by exhausted, empty souls trying to do things for God. And even worse, many terrible things have been done and said for God, but not with God. One of the most sobering passages in the Bible to me is, is Matthew chapter 7, verse 22, where Jesus says that many in that day will stand before him and say, did we not do many mighty works in your name? And he'll say to them, I never knew you. You thought that you were doing things for me, but you definitely weren't doing things with me. We contrast that with Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28, where Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. There is work for you to do, but you're going to do it right with me, right beside me every step of the way. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Even in your work for God, you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If we are going to experience God's work of restoration and rest in our lives, we must Acknowledge and trust that it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. And then we can enter into His work with Him at His pace and in His timing. So first we see that, J that God is the one who reaches out to Jacob. But secondly, we see the God, that Jacob prepares to meet God. God does not give Jacob a, a list of things that he needs to do before coming to Bethel, but Jacob wisely prepares himself and his household for this meeting with God. This work of renewal is a work of God, but Jacob seeks to enter into this work with God by being receptive and compliant with God's will and his working. And the first thing that we see that, that Jacob does in his preparation to meet God is that he removes the idols from his household. Jacob's family and his servants had been living in a land that was, that was steeped in idolatry. It was the same land that God had called Abraham to leave in the first place. And some of those idols and, and foreign gods had come with Jacob's family to the place that they were now. And before they go on to Bethel, Jacob makes sure to eliminate those idols from his house. 
Now, for us, we probably don't have idols and icons and, and those sorts of things in our life. But in the same way that they relied on idols, are there things that are, we are relying on as well apart from God? Is there things that are hindering us from God doing His work of renewal in our life? What are we bringing into our time with God that does not belong there? Are we not being receptive to his work of renewal because we can't accept that he's not giving us what we want when we want it? What desires do we have that we are trying to satisfy apart from God? What things are we elevating to a place of importance that rivals God? There's so many things that could easily fit into that category with me. We look at our money, maybe retirement, our family. We can elevate these things to such a high level of importance that we become so anxious and, and worried about them not staying in the place that we are trying to elevate them to instead of putting them into their correct priorities so that we can receive the rest that God wants to give us. We see this in, uh, in Isaiah chapter 30. Let's, let's turn over there, Isaiah chapter 30, and, and we'll start uh, reading in, in verse 15. really like how this, this passage lays this out and shows how we can get to the point of eliminating idols that we may have in our life. Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 15 says, For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. But you were unwilling and you said, No, we will flee upon horses. Therefore you shall flee away and we will ride upon swift steeds. Therefore your pursuers shall be swift. A thousand shall flee at the threat of one, at the threat of five you shall flee. You see the, this picture, God wants to give rest, and they're saying, no, no we, we have things under control ourselves. But this leads to a place where even one person coming against them just makes them flee away. They're so worried and anxious, trying to do things on their own. But in verse 18, says, therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. Therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. In verse 20 says, and though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore. But your eyes shall see your teacher and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. Then you will defile your carved idols overlaid with silver and your gold-plated metal images, and you will scatter them as unclean things. You will say to them, be gone. Now, this is the result that we want, a complete dismissal of anything in our life that has become an idol to us. But look at how we get there. It's not maybe the same path that we would normally think. 
in quietness, in returning, and in rest, in listening as God teaches us each step of the way, not getting ahead of Him, but listening for Him, finding our satisfaction in Him by focusing on His leading. When we do this, we begin to lose our perceived needs and desires for other things apart from God, and we begin to put things in our life in the right priority. So not only did Jacob eliminate the idols from his household, but we also see that Jacob worships. We often think of worship as as singing like we did a moment ago, and that is a very powerful way in which we worship. But, But worship is any expression of reverence and adoration to God. And we see that Jacob gets this invitation from God to return to Bethel, and he, in front of all of his family and all of his household, he publicly proclaims his reverence and adoration for God. We see that in Genesis chapter 35 and verse 3. Jacob says, Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. Jacob makes this proclamation and then he takes his entire family out to this place in the middle of nowhere and dwells there for a while and builds up an altar and erects this stone pillar and offers sacrifices and offerings to God. There is no spiritual magic in this actual location of Bethel. It's just a place out in the middle of nowhere. But the imagery of God bringing Jacob back to this place is meant to remind him of his experiences with God, of all of the things that God has done for him and all of the promises that he has kept. Remembering who God is and what he has done is transformative, and it leaves us with a heart and a soul that is full of gratitude. We see many examples of this throughout Scripture, but I just want to read an example here from, from Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. I would encourage you later on today to, to read through the rest of that psalm and, and to pray that psalm as praise and, and worship to God because it reminds us of all of the things that God has done for us and it reminds us of who God is. And when we worship, worship draws our heart to God, who is the source of truth and of all good. Instead of following our heart wherever it may take us, when we worship, we bring our heart to God so that God can fill it, God can renew it and give us rest. So we see that Jacob eliminated these idols and Jacob worshipped. 
And lastly, I want to see that God reaffirms his faithfulness to Jacob. And Jacob had had many shortcomings from the time that he first met with God in Bethel to this time where he is coming back again. And yet God reiterates all of those promises to Jacob again. None of Jacob's shortcomings have diminished God's promises to him. These promises of future grace and blessing are for him and even his descendants after him. God also reiterates that Jacob's name is now Israel. If you remember from last week in in Genesis 32, when uh, Jacob is wrestling with God at the end of that wrestling match, God tells Jacob, his name is no longer Jacob, his name now will be Israel. And here we see again, God reiterates that that name change is still in place. Why does God do that? I think part of it is the same reason that God reiterates these promises to Jacob yet again. It's because we need that reassurance. Jacob is, has been through many things from in that period of time, and God lets him know that nothing on God's end has changed. There are many uh, ideas of, of what the interpretation of the name Israel is, But the one thing that is without any mistake is that the L in Israel is the shorthand for the name of God, Elohim. God has has literally placed his name on to Jacob, and he reiterates that that has not changed because of anything that Jacob has done. We see this in uh, Isaiah chapter 43, in verse 1, that was written to the people of Israel many years later. It says, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by my name. You are mine. The people of Israel, Jacob's descendants, would have many, many ups and downs in their relationship with God throughout the rest of the Old Testament. But through all of that, God remained faithful. God kept his promises because he had placed his name on them. They were his. God reminds Jacob that with God, his future is secure. And similarly, through Jesus' death is the payment for our sin Through Jesus' resurrection, which defeated death once and for all, we can know that our future is secure as well. If you've looked at the the news lately or or follow the economy or, or even have looked out the window, you've probably seen that there's a lot of things going on in this world that could cause us a lot of worry and alarm. Whether it's our health, our finances, our, our children, the future of the world and what's it, what it looks like for us and them. In his book, The Divine Conspiracy, Dallas Willard writes, Jesus brings us the assurance that the universe is a perfectly safe place for us to be. And it seems like sort of a, a strange statement. But we think about the way that Jesus said the same thing. 
In John chapter 16 and verse 33, he said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Our future is secure with a God who has already overcome the world. He has removed our sin through his own payment on the cross. And no matter what happens to our bodies in this life, and someday our bodies will fail us, the most important thing is that our future in Christ is secure. If you're here today and you've never placed your faith in Christ and his finished work on the cross, just as God reached out to Jacob, Jesus is reaching out to us so that we can know the peace that only comes from the forgiveness of our sins and the assurance of a future with a God who has overcome this world, has overcome death and anything that we may face. For us as believers, are we living with God day to day in His strength? Or are we trying to push on day after day in our own strength with an exhausted, empty soul? Just as God reached out to Jacob, God is reaching out to us today. He is inviting us to experience his gracious work of renewal. And no matter what we've been through, no matter where we are in our walk of faith, God is faithful. He has secured our future with him, and he longs to restore our soul. How will we respond to God's invitation to come back to Bethel, back to a place of renewal in Him. Let me pray for us that that we would respond well. Lord, we we thank You this morning for, for who You are. We thank You that our, our future is secure in You, and that despite our failings, despite our efforts aside from You, You invite us again to be renewed by you. Lord, I pray that you would do a work of renewal in our hearts this morning. That could mean so many different things to each person here, Lord. You know exactly what we need, and I pray that we would take up your invitation, that we would return to you today, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.